Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, and welcome to Wikipolitiki, a show designed to bring right and left front and center, to turn the funk into function, and leave the junk at the junction. At a time when so much political discourse is heat without light, Wikipolitiki shines the light of love and truth on the endarkened corridors of power, and then brings leading solutionaries into conversation to light the way forward together. Your host is Steve Behrman author, comedian, and political and spiritual uncommentator. You might know Steve as his cosmic comic alter ego, Swami Beyondananda, or as the author of a more serious book with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous Evolution. If you recognize that crisis precipitates evolution, and judging by the current crises, the chances of precipitation are 100%, this show is for you. Welcome to the Evolutionary Upwising. Now, here is your host, Steve Behrman. Well, hello. This is Steve Behrman. Welcome to Wikipolitiki, Conversations for Constructive Co-Creation. Well, the buzz in the news over the past couple of weeks has been about Michael Wolff's book that calls into question Donald Trump's emotional and mental fitness to govern. It's unprecedented, but a group of psychiatrists have suggested that the president's sanity might be an issue. (laughs) Well, anyway, um, our show today will address a different kind of insanity, one that might be more pertinent. The term is moral insanity. Now, I heard a Jungian therapist use that phrase, and when I looked it up, I found it was an old-fashioned way of saying sociopathy. Now, someone who is morally insane is usually highly rational. They know right from wrong, and they intentionally choose wrong because, well, because wrong is what's right for them. Our guest today is Steve Villano, whose fascinating and pointedly pertinent book, Tightrope, Balancing a Life Between Mario Cuomo and My Brother, uh, chronicles his own balancing act when he was head of New York Governor Mario Cuomo's New York City press office while his brother was connected with the John Gotti crime family. Now, as we're going to learn, this book is much more than a personal history. It's about the history of Italians in America, about discrimination and even lynchings of Italians. And and in his book, Steve offers some eye-opening evidence that Donald Trump might indeed be married to the mob. And it also includes some insight into how mobsters view Donald Trump. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing just great. So um, I'm so excited to talk with you, and I know my listeners are too. How about some background? Um, What prompted you to write this book? Well, this was a um, a 30-year labor of love, uh, Steve. Um, What prompted me to write it was finding myself in an untenable position, which I never planned to find myself in. 
I worked for Mario Cuomo from 1985 to 1993, and that was the period that my brother happened to end up working with John Gotti. Um, And I went to work for Cuomo because he was the anti-Gotti. He was the anti-mobster. Cuomo always represented the epitome of public service and of the strongest morality among public officials. And so I had grown up with the mob in my family, um, members of the Genovese crime family and of the Gambino crime family married into my family, and I was repulsed by it. I, I completely rejected um, the wise guy attitude of the mobsters who surrounded us growing up, um, their, their ignorance, their uh, complete um, gravitation toward violence, um, their attitudes toward women, their attitude toward always trying to find um, a way around the law, and if not breaking the law. Uh, and so I completely rejected that. And I wanted a life in public service, um, partly to do penance for the, the sins of my family. Uh, and so when I went to work for Mario Cuomo in 1985, uh, my brother was at that time working as a bagman with John Gotti. Bagman means he was collecting, shaking down uh, money from labor organizations and businesses, um, collecting it on behalf of the Gambino crime family. And so it, um, it presented me with a constant, um, I was on a constant tightrope, as the, as the book says, uh, of balancing my love for my brother with my love and admir- admiration for Mario Cuomo. And as you said, you know, there was the, the, the issue of morality. Uh, you you used you the phrase perfectly of moral insanity. Uh, you know, the mob represented moral insanity to me and represented it in real life. Uh, and Mario Cuomo to me represented the height of morality, of a, of a, a strong sense of values um, that were correct, the kind of values where love is put first and foremost as the most important value where compassion is is emphasized and where um, the, the, the true mark of greatness is of doing service. Um, you know, I, I just um, read oh, yesterday, Martin Luther King Day, I always reread some of Dr. King's speeches. And one of my favorite um, one of his speeches talks about the um, – he redefines he redefines greatness. It's called the drum major instinct. And he gave the speech uh, two months before he was assassinated. And he gave it at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, which was his you know his his congregation. And in the drum major instinct, he says, you know, the, he said there's a lot of people who talk about greatness and who talk about wanting to be number one. And he said, and that you know that could be a good that could be a good instinct. He says, but a lot of times it's perverted, and a lot of times it's used as the basis for racism. And when, uh, when many poor whites who are struggling and are um, in the same income level as many poor blacks, when they, when they are um, misled by their oppressors, he uses the word their oppressors who, who employ them, he said then they're made to believe that, well, even if, even if the, these poor whites are just as poor as poor blacks, um, they can always look forward to the fact that they're white and that that is their, uh, they, they can beat their own drum over the fact that they're white. And he, and he goes on in the speech to talk about how, how pernicious that is. And then Dr. King flips the whole argument on its ear and he said, 
He said, well, he said, we, but we should turn it to a positive. If you want to be great, he says, be great in spreading love around the world. Be great in, in spreading positive values. Be, be great in, in being a servant. Hmm. And so to me, that was what Mario Cuomo represented. That's why I wanted to go and work with him. And I did work with him for eight years uh, of my life. And during that time, you know, there were two presidential boomlets for Cuomo. Uh, because he was clearly presidential material. Uh, people around the country wanted him to run uh, very much. He did not want to run himself. He did not have that burning desire to be president. Uh, you know, here was a man who didn't speak English until he was eight years old. You know, his parents never spoke English. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's really, it's so, per Cuomo's life is so pertinent today with all of the debate on immigration um, because, you know, the, the way that they are phrasing now the um, the way to keep immigrants out is they're saying, well, it should be merit-based. Well, there's a terrific quote um, in uh, one of the Cuomo speeches that he gave in 92, 1992, before NYU's Urban Research Center. And if you bear with me, I'll read you a, a section because it's so pertinent to to this uh, this really uh, terrible anti-immigrant screed coming out of the White House. And Cuomo says this, I thank God that the country didn't say to my parents, we can't afford you, you might take somebody else's job or cost us too much. I'm glad they didn't ask my father if he could speak English, because he couldn't. I'm glad they didn't ask my mother if she could count, because she couldn't. I'm glad they didn't ask my father what special skills he brought to this great and dynamic nation, because there was no special expertise to the way he handled a shovel when he dug ditches for sewer pipe. I'm glad they let him in anyway. And that's Mario Cuomo talking about his, his Italian immigrant parents uh, who came here at the early part of the 20th century. And, you know, the same kind of discrimination against immigrants was practiced against uh, the Irish, was practiced against the Jews, was practiced against Italians. The, you know, the same terms. Um, there were people in this country who called Italy a shithole. There were people in this country who called Ireland a shithole when you had uh, immigrants leaving those countries to pursue the American dream. And so now, you know, Trump, in, in Trump world, um, he reserves that definition for countries of non-white immigrants. You know, and, and, and so uh, people who forget their, their history um, forget that it was the anti-immigrant fervor in this country. Um, the, which brought about the uh, Anti-Immigrant Act of 1924, which was one of the most pernicious racial acts of, of racial hatred enacted into law. In fact, Adolf Hitler, um, in his writings, said that that particular piece of legislation and the Jim Crow laws of 30 states are what inspired the Nazis to draw up the Nuremberg laws. And there's a, there's a terrific book written by uh, James Q. Whitman, who is a professor of law at Princeton University, which it's called Hitler's American Model, where he <laughs> has hard evidence of Nazi jurists who had laid out in front of them the, the Jim Crow laws of 30 states and the American Immigration Act of 1924 that they used as the, as the model to draw up the Nuremberg laws. Uh, so this hatred of the other is nothing new, and yet what Trump has done, Trump has brought us back to 1924. He's brought us back to hatred of people who were different, 
and he is focusing on people of color. Um, Hitler also liked the Nordic people. Um, the, the, the language is frighteningly similar to the language in Mein Kampf, to the language in the Nuremberg Laws. And so Mario Cuomo stood for the opposite of that. Mario Cuomo stood for an inclusive nation, for recognizing what everyone was bringing to the game in coming to this country. And that's why I, um, I wanted to work for the man. Not only was he an outstanding uh, human being and, and public servant, but to, to an Italian-American professional like myself, he represented the epitome of what young Italian-American professionals could, uh, could be. I know it's a long answer to your question, Steve, but um, that's what got me so passionate about working for Mario Cuomo, and that came into conflict with my passion for my family and for, and for my brother and my distaste for what my brother became involved with. Well, you know, in a certain regard, uh, Mario Cuomo was walking that tightrope too, wasn't he? Well, even, only even though he didn't, he, he, only by, he by association. Not. Well, only by association of people who were ignorant, because there was not, and I point this out in my book, there was not any connection to organized crime within the Cuomo family, and I knew that because. I had the connection in my family, and the word within organized crime was that Cuomo was as pure as Caesar's wife, as pure as the driven snuff. And so all of the, um, the, the purveyors of hate and discrimination, including Roger Stone, who was at it back then, Roger Stone, who you know came out of the Nixon campaign of 1968, Roger Stone was whispering around because they were terrified that Mario Cuomo would run for president in 88 because they, they felt that he could beat them. Um, so they started a whispering campaign. Oh, his name ends in a vowel, so he must be connected to organized crime. And it was despicable, and people latched onto it because it was a stereotype that the American public wanted to believe. In 1990, Gallup did a poll, and Gallup in that poll uh, asked the American public in general, how many of you believe that if a politician is Italian-American, they must be connected to organized crime. 74% in 1990. Oh, my God. 74% respondents said yes. But even worse was among Italian-Americans, 78% said yes. And so that's, <laughs> what, that's what Mario Cuomo was up against. I mean, some of... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The, yeah. Some of the greatest ignorance about Italian American history is held by Italian Americans ourselves. 
Um, you know, in my book, I write about how in, in 1891, when the anti-Italian immigrant fervor um, was powerful in New Orleans, 11 Italian immigrants were lynched for a crime that they were acquitted of by a jury, not of their peers, but by a jury of 12 white nationalists. In fact, the group ruling New Orleans at the time was called the White Nationalist League. And, yeah, that was their name, the White Nationalist League. <laughs> you know, almost as, um, almost as upfront today about it as, as, as Trump is today about his white supremacy. Uh, and so these 11 innocent Italian immigrants were lynched. And what made it even worse, I mean, they, they, were, they were grabbed out of their, their cells where they were being held for their own protection after their acquittal. 20,000 citizens in New Orleans broke down the jail, grabbed them, took them out of the jail, and listen, these were all the, the white, the leading white citizens of New Orleans who did this to Italian immigrants. And so the New York Times, the Times-Picayune of, of New Orleans, the San Francisco Chronicle, the, many of the great papers in the country, they thought that the Italian immigrants got what they deserved, despite the fact that a jury acquitted them of the crime. And so... You know, fast forward that into the 1920s when you had that uh, 1924 Immigration Act passed, which not only um, gutted all of the immigration from Italy, because by that point, four million Italians had immigrated to this country. It, it also it completely closed the door on Asian immigration. And in, in that same year, you might remember uh, from history, uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan had a death grip on the Democratic Party. They had 350 delegates to the Democratic National Convention in 1924, and they blocked the nomination of Alfred E. Smith, the governor of New York, who was a Catholic. But the Klan was not only anti-black um, and anti-Semitic, they were anti-Catholic and they were virulently anti-immigrant, the same way that the, that the extreme right wing in this country right now, today, the Klan and the Nazis are anti-immigrant. The Klan in 1924 was at the peak of its power in the North. They 50,000 Klansmen marched down the streets of D.C. Um, in order to get support for this legislation. And so it's not coincidental that three years later in 1927, Donald Trump's father, Fred Trump, was arrested at a KKK rally in Queens, New York. And at that Klan rally, what was the Klan rallying against? They were rallying against Jews. They were rallying against blacks. They were rallying against Catholics. And they were rallying against Italian immigrants because Italian immigrants were perceived to be from shitholes. They were perceived to be the dregs of society at that time. Three months later, Fred, Fred Trump was arrested in, in May of 27. In August of 1927, Sacco and Manzetti were executed. And as a result of this absolute hysteria in this country against Italian immigrants, and what added to the Sacco and Manzetti, um, their circumstance was that they were political activists. So the combination of being an Italian immigrant from an alleged shithole and being a, a political activist doomed them. And so that's what happens when you have this unbridled hatred and this unbridled bigotry. And but many Italians don't understand. Italian Americans don't understand. This is part of our own history. You know, we okay, were Stephen. Yeah. We'll be we'll be right back after the message, and we'll pick this right up. Thanks for that information.
Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Om Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted. Imagine, it is the year 2039. A single corporation controls most of the world through genetic modification, food, and drugs. A senior geneticist's lover dies, launching him on a quest to take down the psychopathic CEO and the handful of elite families that control the corporation. The feature film Corporate Prey, based on the novel of the same name, points us toward a dystopian future where we seem to be headed. Huge corporations do largely control our farms and our pharma and wealthy elites seem to be operating to the detriment of most humans. Can we reverse course? Can prophecy lead to prevention? Can a movie awaken enough of us in time? To find out more and how you can help bring this enlightening film to light, go to CorporatePrey.com. Corporate Prey, that's P-R-E-Y. In the wake of a disaster, what one thing can you send that will help people the most? A blanket. A tent, a sandbag, a doctor. Actually, if you send a monetary donation, you send all these things. Even a small donation can make a big impact and can quickly become exactly what people affected by disaster need most. In the wake of a hurricane, your monetary donation can make a huge difference to those in need. To donate, visit supporthurricanerelief.org. That's supporthurricanerelief.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Okay, this is Steve Behrman. We're back with a really fascinating conversation with Steve Alano, providing a bit of historical perspective uh, to counteract some of the hysterical perspective we've had uh, over the past period of time. Uh, and I appreciate, Steve, you're bringing in Martin Luther King, you're bringing in the Klan, and you're contextualizing uh, what we're going to be talking about a little bit later, maybe a little bit sooner, uh, the Donald Trump phenomenon. With uh, how this has been a persistent nativist, racist, um, xenophobic pattern in, in this country. And as we were heading out for the break, you kind of dropped a little, um, little piece of information that Donald Trump's dad, original name Trump, German name Trump, uh, Fred Trump, was actually arrested at a Klan rally in 1927. So let's pick that up. Uh, let's let's now uh, leave the threat of the uh, of the various crime families for a minute, and let's look at the Trump family, Stephen. Well, um, when you're looking at the Trump family, you're looking at a crime family, Steve. Um, and the, you know, just because the name doesn't end in a vowel, um, people haven't looked at it. And I've written several pieces for major newspapers about that. That 
if Mario Cuomo had <laughs> one iota of the kind of association with organized crime that Donald Trump has had throughout his life, it would have been a total disqualifier. The only reason why there has not been a focus on Trump, and Trump is as filthy as they come in terms of his being mobbed up. Going back to his father, and I'll tell you, and I'll give you details on that in a minute. The only reason why there hasn't been a focus on Trump is because Trump's name doesn't end in a vowel. You know, and that the, the, the narrative in this country has been up to this point. Uh, and that's about to change because of the, the tremendous involvement of the Russian mob in our economy. Um, but the narrative has been, oh, if, if he's Italian, he must be connected. Well, the Trumps were connected from the very beginning. When Fred Trump, in 1954, um, when he was building his federally funded housing in Brooklyn, federally funded housing in Brooklyn, his business partner was a capo in the Genovese crime family, uh, Willie Tomasello. It's all detailed in, in the terrific book by Wayne Barrett, uh, Trump, The Deals and the Downfall, written in 1991. Uh, Barrett had the good sense to die the day before Trump was inaugurated, you know, essentially saying, you know, I warned you guys for 25 years, you know, what kind of piece of garbage is going to come into the White House? You didn't listen to me. You know, I'm out of here. Um, but Fred <laughs> Fred Trump, um, you know, and I, I'm not even talking about, uh, about Donald Trump's grandfather who ran a brothel uh, on the West Coast, um, you know, and it, it, establishing the dalliances with prostitutes that his grandson would later be involved with. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the father, Fred Trump, in 1954, who had a business partner who was a capo in the Genovese crime family. And they... They were so crooked in how they misused federal funds, they were both, both Fred Trump and the, the Genovese mobster, were hauled before a U.S. Senate committee to testify on how they had been misusing these federal funds. And so that's where it, it, the more contemporary history goes back 60-plus years. So now fast forward 20 years from then to 1973, that same housing that the Trumps built with federally funded money, they wouldn't let black people in. And that's where the major case came from the federal government suing the Trump organization to say, you can't build housing with federal money and discriminate against African Americans. And, you know, Trump likes to say, oh, well, they never, they, you know, we, we settled. Yeah, they settled. And part of the settlement was that they, they were commanded to integrate that housing. At that, and, and the reason why that case is important, not only because that was the housing that had been built with these fraudulently, with federal funds and with the help of the, of the Genovese crime family, um, but Donald Trump hired Roy Cohen to be his attorney to represent him against the federal government. Now, Roy Cohen, we know, not, you know, you know probably one of the most despicable human beings ever to breathe air, uh, who not only came out of the, out of the McCarthy, uh, Joe McCarthy uh, era, um, but was so perfectly depicted by Tony Kushner and Angels in America as a real dirtbag, um, Roy Cohen had mob clients. And so Trump hired Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen said, well, countersue. They countersued the federal government for $100 million. The judge threw it out. He said, this isn't even worth the paper it's printed on. You know, and that was that, that was the Roy Cohen technique that Donald Trump still uses, which is just sue, just counter sue. 
you know, uh, stir up a lot of dust and try to blind people uh, with the dust. Well, Cohen introduced Donald Trump to all the mobsters in New York. And if you are in the construction business in New York, you had a, you had a, 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 a moral decision to make. You know, were you going to pay the mob's prices um, for cement or drywall? They controlled the cement industry through a company called SNA Concrete. Um, and SNA Concrete was mutually controlled by the Gambino and the Genovese crime family. Well, Roy Cohen set up a meeting in his townhouse on the east side in Manhattan between Donald Trump and Fat Tony Salerno, who was at that time the head of the Genovese crime family. And so essentially they, they rigged the prices of what they were going to be charging for cement. Now, Trump always said, well, that's what you had to do in order to do business in New York and the construction trade at the time, which was not true because there were a number of developers who chose not to, who used steel instead of cement, who went to the FBI. And so, uh, you know, it was another one of the Trump lies um, to try to deny his association with organized crime. But there were many studies done of the pro proliferation of organized crime throughout the construction industry uh, in New York. And one of the people uh, who Trump was particularly beholden to was a fellow by the name of John Cody, who was a friend of my brother's uh, and their connections to the Gambino crime family. Cody was head of the Teamsters local, and it was the Teamsters local that controlled um, the trucking industry uh, and the delivery of goods on a lot of construction projects. And so Cody, at the peak of his power, um, he controlled about 4,000 drivers of delivery trucks in New York City and Long Island, and he had, he had the power to bring the construction industry to a halt. Get shut down. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Any projects in New York, uh, including Trump Tower, which was under construction at the time. So uh, Cody um, was proud of bragging that Donald Trump liked to deal with me through Roy Cohen. Um, and... All right, underneath Trump's penthouse in Trump Tower, Cody installed his mistress, um, Vernia Hickson, who gave an interview um, last year uh, to Vanity Fair and detailed exactly um, how Trump was completely terrified of Cody and the guys in the mob uh, with who he dealt with. And uh, last year, John Cody's son gave an interview to the, in the Daily Beast saying that Trump was a guy who would talk tough, but as soon as you confronted him, he would cry like a little girl. He was all talk and no action. So the mob had his number. Um, and 
they knew that the only thing that mattered to Trump was money. And so they knew that by squeezing the money supply, they could squeeze Trump. Uh, Michael Cody told the Daily Beast, he said, my father walked all over Trump. Anytime Trump didn't want to do what he was told, my father would shut down the job for the day. No deliveries, 400 guys sitting around. So to John Cody and his colleagues and my brother's friends and the Gambino crime family, Trump was just another puffed up, uh, pasty patsy of a guy who did whatever the mob guys asked. You know, and so that was the world that Donald Trump, you know, wanted to be in, saw his way to make money, and he was a he was a punk wannabe among punks, an amoral actor who was doing business with amoral peers, and, and as as. John Cody's son observed last year, and as my brother's friends demonstrated, that they had zero respect for Trump. They knew that they could squeeze him for whatever they wanted. And that's exactly the same thing done by the Genovese crime family earlier, the Gambinos, the Scarfo crime family out of Philadelphia, who Trump had to play ball with when he went down there to open his casino in Atlantic City because they controlled access to Atlantic City. And he laundered money for them through his casino. Uh, which went belly up, as we all know. And then when he ran out of uh, American crime families to give him money, who did he go through? But the Russian criminal enterprises. And we know now that more and more is coming out that he has been laundering money for Russian oligarchs for at least the last decade, if not longer. Uh, interestingly, also, there was a story that came out uh, right after Trump made his remarks about Haiti last week, uh, that it was that through a shell corporation, Trump laundered about half a million dollars for Baby Doc Duvalier, the dictator of um, Haiti, um, by selling him a money, uh, uh, selling him an apartment at one of his one of his properties. This was the way Trump did business, um, and you know, you're talking about luxury apartments, which became investments of choice. For ill-gotten gains, you know, there was uh, Rachel Maddow last night did a brilliant expose uh, on um, the uh, Uzbek, not Uzbekistan, uh, one of the stands. <laughs> <laughs> where, Somebody took a stand. <laughs> where where yeah. Trump has gotten um, tens of millions in dollars invested, um, and in fact, the uh, dictator of that particular country is visiting the White House today. Why? Because his son controls the bank, where, which has all the records of the money that's been funneled through Trump properties. And, you know, so this, this is collusion of the highest order, um, Steve. And, you know, better than um, Michael Wolff's book, um, which I just got today from Amazon, by the way, better than that book, the book people should be talking about is Luke Harding's book. Luke Harding's book is called Collusion, Secret Meetings, Dirty Money, and How Russia Helped Trump Win. Um, this is the book which lays out the case, chapter and verse. Luke Harding was the Moscow bureau chief for The Guardian for six years. Uh, he knew Michael Steele before Michael Steele's dossier became public. My, Luke Harding knows where everything is buried, and he's got it all in this book. I, I would recommend it highly to all of your listeners because this is the case. This is where uh, Robert Mueller is drawing his stuff from. You know, that the, the case against Trump uh, is the case against the Trump criminal enterprise. 
And so that's the case Mueller's going to make. That's the case Mueller is making. He's following the money. Bob Mueller and his terrific prosecutors are the folks who brought down John Gotti. Uh, and the way they did that was they got Sammy the Bull Gravano to flip and uh, turn state's evidence on Gotti. Now, now Gravano, you know, uh, he's like the Michael Flynn of the Gambino crime family. Gravano has committed 19 murders. No, I mean, I don't know if Michael Flynn committed any murders, but he sure has done a lot of bad stuff. Uh, and the, you know, to get somebody like Flynn to flip is like the equivalent of getting somebody like uh, Gravano to flip on Gotti. And when he did, that was the damning evidence that Mueller and his team needed to put Gotti away for life. And they did the same thing with uh, Vinny the Chinjaganti, who was head of the Genovese crime family. They brought him down. They went back and they got Gravano out of witness protection. And they said, we know that you know that Vinny the Chinjaganti has been pretending to be crazy all this time to stay out of jail. And they got Gravano on the stand, and Gravano said it's all an act. They, they hauled Vinny the Chin into court. He admitted it was all an act. And Mueller's team got another life sentence. So they broke the backs of the Gabino and the Genovese crime family, and they will do the same thing with this Russian criminal enterprise that Trump is at the center of. Wow, that that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, again, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the about the Russian crime family when we get back after this next break. But what I'm really, really, uh, what's really curious to me is. Uh, this should be so obvious. It should be so obvious. I mean, first of all, it's been written about uh, – again, you mentioned the first book about uh, about Trump's mob connections dating back uh, almost 30 years, 25 or 30 years. Uh, then all you got to do is look at the guy. All you got to do is listen to him. What do you imagine uh, is the cause of so many people – I'm not talking about the – the 20 or 30 percent of people who were in it because of the racism. I'm talking about the other 10 to 20 percent of uh, one would imagine otherwise sane Republicans who've gone along with us. What's that all about? Well, um, there are no sane Republicans left. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, people have been giving the Republican Party a pass for too long. You know, there are many of your listeners who, like me, are uh, children of the 60s. You know, who came of age when Richard Nixon was bastardizing the U.S. Constitution. You know, many of your listeners understand exactly who Roy Cohen was. And, and by knowing those folks and knowing Roger Stone, you know, you know Donald Trump. You know how he operates. You know that he has absolutely zero morality, that he has absolutely zero heart. And so go back to 1968. Who ran Nixon's campaign? Roger Ailes ran his campaign. And Roger Ailes, who then went on to found Fox Television, which is, which is the equivalent of, of RT, of Russian television for the Republicans, um, because it's a pure propaganda channel. It's the, orig it's the original fake news. Um, Roger Ailes is the one who crafted Nixon's Southern strategy. And what was that but racism? You know, George Wallace, Richard Nixon, and Hubert Humphrey were the three major candidates for president in 1968. And Humphrey only lost by half a million votes. And so Nixon um, went right after some of those same southern um, racist votes that George Wallace did. And so this is nothing new. The Republicans have been doing this for 50 years. 
you know, fast forward again to the election of 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. And so that Southern strategy continued. Uh, and Reagan, uh, who was a much more likable guy than Donald Trump, uh, was still relying on people like Jesse Helms um, to continue to suppress the vote in many African-American communities. You know, what the Republicans have done over the past 50 years is they have dressed up the Jim Crow laws in different ways. If you look at state after state and how they have tried to repress the vote in black communities by either putting uh, extreme qualifications that many of the poor can't meet, like having a driver's license. If you don't have a car, if you can't afford a car, you're not going to have a driver's license. Secondly, um, one of the biggest forms of voter disenfranchisement is the criminal justice system. You know, I saw a movie the other night, it was on Martin Luther King Day, actually, called The 13th Amendment, which, which describes that mass incarceration is the new Jim Crow, because in many states, if you have a, a criminal record, you cannot vote. And so we're talking about hundreds of thousands of disenfranchised uh, African-American and Latino voters around the country, people who should be entitled to vote once they have served their time and fulfilled their obligation to society. So this is nothing new. You know, these Republicans well, gonna... you know, didn't just become immoral overnight. Oh, thank you. Well, we're, we're going to pick right. We're we're going to pick this right up after the break. I appreciate that uh, sharp perspective. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free, ascendinghearts.com. Hello, I'm Lisa Berry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living. A chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you. The Shift Network, presenting transformative programs and events to help you waken to your full potential so that together we can build the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Our classes support you in finding and cultivating your gifts and in bringing those gifts to the world to create tangible change and connect us as global citizens. Go to theshiftnetwork.com or follow the link on the WikiPolitiki sponsors page. I rescued Toast from my shelter in 2011. I love Toast because she's a lazy diva. Toast does whatever she wants, obviously. She's sleeping right now. 
She's so loving. She's so comforting. When I walked into the shelter, I knew right then that she was special. Toast, Instagram star and shelter pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Start yours today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Wow. Well, we're back with Steve Alano talking about his book, Tightrope, and also talking about the various crime families, uh, which I think he would probably include the Republican Party in that. Uh, I, and I think that there's this is really a pertinent point. You know, I think th these are times when the veils are being lifted uh, over so many things. And uh, and once again, I, I think that uh, in this uh, that recent uh, we like to use the word situation, uh, the, the shithole conversation, which is it's interesting now that uh, I just got an email from somebody saying, well, now there's only six words that George Carlin says we can't use. So apparently that <laughs> word is now, has now passed into, uh, we can now use it. I, I really do think that that's exactly correct, that if uh, that uh, we have uh, two political parties, we have the Democratic Party and the Undemocratic. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Democratic Party. And, and whatever you want to say about the Democrats, however they've fallen short, however they've betrayed us in many ways, we could have that conversation. The fact the is that... Party the Republican Party is quickly becoming an adjunct of this criminal enterprise that's in the White House. And, and you know, I, I remember that it's Kazakhstan. Uh, he's meeting with the leader of Kazakhstan today. And the Kazakhstan money is where Felix Sater, um, who is has a record of being mobbed up, he was Trump's, Trump's um, partner in the Soho Hotel that is under investigation not only by Mueller, but also by the attorney general of New York State. Um, because it was there was illegal, uh, ill-gotten gains, laundered money used in that hotel, and so you know Trump is he the layers of his mobbed upness are so thick, um, you know that what he has done is he has completely shattered any ethical. There are no ethical standards around around this administration. You know, forget the legal violations, and they're there. Um, because, you know, the, you know, the irony is, oh, he's saying, you know, we have to have a war on, on, on opioids. Well, his casino in Atlantic City, he, he laundered money for drug dealers. You know, and so you're talking about a Republican Party. And there was an article, I believe it was in the Washington Post a month or so ago, that detailed about 14 different Republicans uh, who had received money from Russian oligarchs in their campaigns. It's one of the reasons why the Republicans in Congress, particularly Devin Nunez on the, on the House Intelligence Committee, are trying to obstruct this investigation. Because when you follow the money, it leads to them. When you follow the money, what we have now, we have one political party playing by the rules somewhat in the Democratic Party, and the other operation is not a political party anymore. It has become 
a mob cartel. And so, and the amount of influence that the Russians have, you know, this is the Putin playbook. The Putin playbook is you bribe public officials in countries that you want to have great influence in. And, you know, who, who would ever suggest that American public officials would be immune to bribery? Well, you know, Donald Trump has clearly been uh, subject to it over the course of his career, and so a number of the Republicans have as well. So what you have here is a massive undermining of democracy, not just from the Russians, which it has been occurring from, but from within. You know, and the Russians realize that let's just buy these people. Let's compromise them in a number of different ways. Um, and, you know, that's the real danger here. You know, I, I know, you know, your audience, Steve, is very much <clears throat> attuned to uh, issues of consciousness. And, and as you know, I, I ran the Institute of Noetic Science for a year. Um, and the personal consciousness is extraordinarily important, but social consciousness at this point in our country's history is of paramount importance because what's going on, if, we, if those of us who are concerned about ourselves, our families, our country, if we don't scream from the tallest building about what's happening and how we will not stand for it, then we're in trouble. Uh, you know, and, and so I would hope your listeners uh, would not only uh, get on the line with their public officials, but every time there is an opportunity to protest in the streets, like this coming Saturday, which is the anniversary of the Women's March, to do it, to make sure that we insist on the reinstitution of ethical standards in government. And, and when the Democrats take the House and the Senate, which we will help them do this year, what we have to insist upon for them is the most rigorous, rigorous collection of ethics laws that we've ever seen in this country. Because those laws that were passed in 1974 after the Nixon scandal um, have been eroded. They have all been eroded in one year. Trump has turned this whole federal government into a money-making operation for him, for Betsy DeVos, for uh, Wilbur Ross, for all of these uh, oligarchs, American oligarchs, who he has surrounded himself with. And it's up to us to save the country. Well, you know, you mentioned Roger Ailes back there. And uh, again, uh, part, I think there's been a stupidization program going on in this country, Fox News. And for you people who uh, read the Bible, uh, in numerology, Fox, F-O-X is 666. Uh, Roger Ailes, as a, uh, as a founder of Fox News, uh, and I put that in quotes, that has been essentially a relentless propaganda or impropaganda machine that's been going on and on and on, drumming false information, half-truths, quarter-truths, to the point where people actually believe something because they've heard it so many times. So, All right, yeah. What, yeah. And, and yeah. so that's part of the issue. And I, I think that what uh, is incumbent upon us, um, those of us who don't get our news from just one source, uh, is to continue to call attention to the facts as we see them and as we find them from whatever source we find them at. You know, and so you, you cannot let Fox get away with the complete um, 
sterilization of fact, which is what they've done. That's Roger Ailes, when he took over the network, it was clear that he, this was another arm of, of the Republican Party. And it wasn't just the sanitation of facts, but it was also the presentation of an alternate reality. Um, you know, and we have to be just as concerned with Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, Facebook admitted under oath that they accepted Russian rubles for the purchase of what they knew was fake news, uh, you know, on Facebook. And so the, the executives of, the, of social media must also be held accountable. It's not just Fox News, you know, that there is a, there's a larger issue here. And that is, what is the accountability of people who hold the reins of these mass systems of communication? You know, time was, when, when I was in law school, Steve, I studied communications law, and the Communications Act of 1927, before there was television, regulated radio. You know, and there were certain public, and, and television, when it came into being, was, was required to, to perform certain public service um, acts. And one of those public service acts was that you couldn't lie in the news. <laughs> that's a public service. Not lying. Well, you're not right. lying as a public service. That's good. I like that. That's right. And when, you know, <laughs> with, the, with, many of, with the proliferation of cable stations, you know, they're not governed by the FCC regulations that were originally designed to cover the network. And that, those public service obligations have been greatly weakened over the years by the corporations that control the media. And so we have to be assiduous in calling attention to that. We have to, as we campaign for people who vow to restore a sense of morality and decency in government in terms of um, public service over self-service, we have to insist on a reestablishment of ethical standards at every single level of government. I mean, is it right that the former general counsel for Verizon is now the head of the FCC, um, who you know, which Verizon, you know, wrote a lot of the regulations for, and one of the first things he did was to push the repeal of net neutrality, which benefits companies like Verizon, you know, and and you can go down the list um, for that. And so I think that it's not just Fox News, you know. It, I mean, it, when Fox News first started, we nicknamed it Faux News or the the original fake news. Uh, yeah. But it's not just Fox News. It's bigger than that. I mean, just, you know, you go on to, on to Facebook and, uh, and see the number of fake news uh, accounts that are opened on Facebook uh, and were opened on Facebook, and they knew about it during the course of the year. You know, and, and one of the other things that comes out in the, in the Harding book is that, you know, at that, at that famous meeting where, uh, Michael Flynn was sitting next to Vladimir Putin when he was being paid by Russian television. Even he hid that payment. Who was, else was at the table but Jill Stein? Well, whether or not Jill Stein received direct money from the Russians, we don't know that yet. What we do know is that the Russians bought ads on Facebook and on social media supporting Jill Stein and undermining Hillary, undermining Hillary Clinton. Now, whose votes made the difference in those key Midwestern states that Hillary Clinton lost, where she lost the election, but Jill Stein's? Now, I'm sure some of your listeners, who are probably to the left um, of Hillary Clinton, voted for Jill Stein 
because they were frustrated that Bernie didn't get the nomination. Well, Jill Stein was a dupe of the Russians in many regards. And so, you know, these are the kind of things that we have to be alert to. And so, you know, those of us who refuse to accept um, what the, the surface news, the, the, the news that's skimmed and force-fed to us in many ways, have to call out um, all of this to the public's attention. Because when we elect a new Congress, we have to insist that protections are made against these kind of uh, ways in which our democracy was hijacked. Well, you know, it's very true uh, that all the media, and of course we would include NPR, that NPR has been very different uh, over the last 10, 15, even 20 years. And so when people imagine that they're getting uh, a broader picture of the news, it's still being censored by the corporations if it's not favorable to uh, to their agenda. And then you mentioned something else. You mentioned the uh, uh, Verizon and the FCC. One of the most obvious uh, avenues for corruption is the so-called revolving door between being elected to Congress, which incidentally costs millions and millions of dollars, and then uh, at the end of that time going to work as a lobbyist for one of the companies that you were, quote-unquote, regulating. Right. It should be strictly forbidden um, by law. And, I mean, it's not just Congress. Look at Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. How did he make yes. his money? But he made his money by being a vulture on the, off of the backs of hardworking middle-class homeowners in California where he, where he shafted them out of mortgages when the, when the last collapse occurred in 2008. And he's Treasury Secretary. You know, and, so, you know, and, and yeah, along those lines, I think this is a really important point to, to add a little bit of balance. I mean, I, you make a great case for um, the Republican Party uh, selling its soul to the devil. I would say the Democrats have rented their soul to the devil in that uh, when Obama had the opportunity to not bail out the banks, he went with the program and bailed out the banks. The Democrats have, uh, since the Clinton era, the Democrats have really been the ones to, in a certain regard, institutionalize this, um, one might call it soft corruption of, of these um, interlocking directorates between um, corporations and government, this, this chumminess. And so I think right, the, that, that, the anti-Hillary was backlash. Right. We have to insist that this time when the Democrats get control of both houses, that they must – put in the kind of controls on corporate power that Bernie Sanders was talking about and that many of us who supported Obama were very hopeful would come about. I mean, my, my sentiment when Obama was first elected was that he was too much too timid. He did not take the kind of sweeping actions that we wanted on the, and you know, Paul Krugman wrote many, many columns about this in the New York Times, that he was, because of his, his, very high approval rating upon election. Obama could have come in and done a very strong public works program. He could have come in with a very punitive program against the banks and against the Steve Mnuchins of the world who had ripped us off. Okay, I have to interrupt. Uh, what a conversation. Steve Alano, author of Tightrope, Balancing a Life Between Mario Cuomo and My Brother. I know people will be listening to this interview and listening to it more. Catch me at Ohm Times Radio Wikipolitiki. This is Steve Behrman. We'll be with you next week.